Today's episode is brought to you by Treston Associates. Treston Associates provides a growing suite of back office services to mortgage brokers. One of their most popular services is mortgage fulfillment. Treston Associates will handle the fulfillment of your files on a per file basis. No monthly fees and no commitments. You have a team of experienced professionals working for you without the headache and expenses of payroll, training, and turnover. Get in touch with Treston Associates today by visiting their website, treadstoneassociates.ca and book a call for fee evaluation of your business. You can also click on the link in the description. Trestone Associates is helping mortgage brokers scale their business. Contact Trestone Associates today. Welcome to another episode of Real Estate Tribe. We are your hosts, Harris and Umar Zilkran. What's I, up, Umar? Nothing much. I, I'm excited for, for another episode, or I guess... Yeah, it's, uh, you know what, another episode, another day. Um, we've got uh, a lot of interesting things to talk about, but the thing is, is the industry is constantly changing, especially the last six months. And it's been something that uh, um, it's spooking a lot of people. And it's also, uh, there's a lot of, there's a tremendous amount of uh, uh, potential for people operating professionals, whether they're realtors or mortgage brokers operating within the, indi- within the industry um to take advantage of speaking of which today's today's top tip is focus and we're going to be elaborating more about that later on in the show but to kick things off umar what do you have uh what's our first topic we have a few topics um i think i think today's episode is really relevant in that there's a lot of kind of um uh, big numbers coming out every month a lot of headlines that stoke fears. So it, it's a it's a good opportunity for us to really look at uh, those numbers, look at the information, what's going on, um, and then discuss uh, um, advice, practical advice on how to understand and navigate these these changes going on in the industry. Um, I know every time I log in, I'm going through the news and I see headline after headline, someone saying, "Oh, real estate market's crashed. It's crashing." Or this is just <laughs> a... <laughs> There's a lot of doom and gloom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sky is falling. Everybody run for cover. <laughs> so, so the idea is just kind of let's look at that information. Let's understand it. And, and maybe there's more to it than, than just uh, selling clicks because that's often what's really happening, right? Getting that attention from, from the broader market. So last, uh, in 2021, um, I don't know if uh, people know this, but in, in tw- compared to the numbers were released for July 2022, and compared to July 2021, we saw a 47% decrease in overall homes traded. So what does that mean? We had about 10,000 homes sold in 2021 in July, and we had about 4,800 or 4,900 homes sold this year. So you had a dip. That's, that's a fact. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess the topic then is that the sales are plunging. Um, and one of the biggest things that I kind of, when I look at these numbers when they're going down, is... Was 2021 a typical year? No, it was not. Yeah. So every year is not a typical year lately, I think. Yeah, past two, three years, everything's kind of been, like, weird, and it's hard to kind of understand um, what uh, the baseline is. And so you're kind of measuring something off of something else that's constantly moving. And sometimes there's spikes, sometimes there isn't. Um, I do remember, for example, I know this is dropping and I'm kind of segueing a little bit, but I want to kind of preface this with this conversation about sales dropping. Um, And that is that I remember, I think, 2020 when uh, the 
there was, I think, the lockdown f- first initiated. That was the first year. March of 2020 was when lockdowns uh, initiated. And then you had, like, some crazy numbers in, like, September that came out. They're like, oh, my God, we're, like, 50% above uh, the September of last year. But if you look at it, if you look at the entire year, it's been like there was no sales. Uh, sales are below market the entire from like March all the way to August. And in September, there was a spike just because there was some pent up demand. And even though September, you normally numbers go down, it went up, but it didn't compensate for the previous months. So you had these insane like, oh, my God, things are going up. And then the next year. People got more comfortable with the lockdown. They actually went out and started spending that money because there wasn't the fear of 2020 lockdowns, but you had 2021 interest rates, which were like amazingly low. We've got like 1%. Um, I think HSBC or one of the banks had some put out like 0.99%. So there's an insane drive for, for sales. So 2021, I would argue, was uh, a year where there was a lot of activity, you know? Yeah, and I think um, what happens also is um, you have these peaks and valleys, and when numbers are reported, the numbers don't really account for the difference in types of inventory, types of buyer. So you had a lot of people buying in 2021, a lot of people coming out and saying, hey, it's a good environment, we should start buying now. And then that had exasperated further what happened now, where you have less purchases happening, but the price differences that people are seeing, they're not really accounting for the type of houses being sold. A good example is, um, I forget which newspaper it was on. There was something, uh, an article I read about how they were reporting King City um, housing prices dropped by 80% or something. It was something ridiculous. Yeah. And and then if you look into, they didn't, they did not report the data, but I got a little curious. So I looked into the data behind the difference and uh, the last year's, um, uh, the inventory that was sold in King City were estate homes. And it was, I think, maybe 15 homes that they were looking at in the, in a particular region that sold for over $2 million, 2.5, something like that. This year you had maybe three homes sold so far in that same area, four homes that were considerably smaller, I think maybe 60 70% of the size. Mm. And then they're comparing that overall sale average price to a completely different product, which makes no sense. Yeah, I mean, if you want to create a model, you could always create a model that says there's doom and gloom. I mean, we're not in any way saying that the market isn't being affected. But I do feel that uh, the market is being affected, um, obviously, because interest rates are going up. um, But then you have all these models that are coming up to make it even more sensational than it really is. I I know that um, I think it was, again, uh, 2020. 2020, a a lot of things happened. Summer 2020... Um, I think at the end of it, uh, condo market had been affected in the GTA, specifically uh, Toronto, I guess not the GTA, but Toronto, and prices had gone down, and I forget what the number was, was, but I feel like it was nominal, like 0.9 or 1 or 2, 2%, whatever it was, right, and that made headlines, but the reality was, was that there was some laws changed, and um it was uh, to do with Airbnb and you can just set up an Airbnb anywhere. And because that happened, um, a lot of investors threw their market, their, their property on the market. And you had something along the lines, like two to 4,000 extra units above average. And if you take that into consideration, that 1% dip was pretty good 
um, if you take into account that, you know what, you had an extra 4,000 units being sold. So I think the same thing is kind of going on here where, okay, so you had last, we came out of a year which was exceptionally strong. People were bidding, people couldn't get homes. Um, there were like 70 offers the first weekend a house goes uh, on, on the market. Um, and then you have to go in with no uh, conditions, firm offer, um, hoping and praying that everything works out to a market where um, interest rates have gone up. People are qualifying for less, which naturally means what? It means that in order for you to buy a particular home, that same home that you would have bought yes, uh, last year, you now have to save up more money. Okay. So does that mean that life events have stopped happening? Uh, not necessarily. It's just that you have to save a little bit longer before you can qualify or you qualify for less. So you're not going, you're going to wait essentially until you can maybe get into the home that you want. All right. So the next topic. Um, so there's been some interesting data also going around um, about the types of buyers that are participating in the market now and the changes in the, I guess you could say demographics or that the buyer that's uh, more actively participating. So Canada's mortgage boom is almost entirely uninsured investors. So what does that mean? So you have less first-time home buyers coming into the market. Um, you have less people that uh, that do not have the, the the requisite capital to put in that down payment, and it's people who are investing in properties that are more actively participating so in. So when you say mortgage boom, um, mortgage boom over what period of time are you referring to? Is this something that uh, is this year, or is this something that has been happening over the past few years? Um, it's been increasing. Um, uh, the data showed that in May of this year, the outstanding balance of mortgages in Canada reached $1 trillion. So the amount has been increasing uh, uh, over time. Um, but what's been changing is you've there's been more participation with one segment of the market taking a greater share of those mortgages as opposed to other segments. So the first-time home buyers are not uh, increasing at the same rate as the the uh, uninsured um, in investors that are, are, are buying property. And I think it is in line with um, just, uh, you could say buyer habits in that when you have these kind of downturns, you have the investors that are thinking, okay, this is an opportunity. This is not something to be scared of. This is the time I can get into the market at a, at a cheaper price with less competition. And then hopefully within the next couple of years, the prices start increasing at the same rate or just continue to appreciate uh, and they're able to, make more profit because of the downturn. Yeah, and I also think it's uh, um, a, a, a lot to do with fear. So um, if uh, you're, you're sitting on the sidelines and you're waiting and you're a first-time home buyer, obviously buying a home and making that decision is a big thing. Um, but if you're an investor, you kind of understand that, hey, uh, I can easily – refinances, go pick up another property, and then you're seeing that the appreciation is, is pretty good. Interest rates are going down. There's a lot there that can help you. And so if you buy a property in six months, a year down the line, you can um, refinance it. And with that extra cash, you can go pick up another property. Why not? Yeah. And, and I think that's what uh, usually the the investor focus is looking at that longer term. I think there was there were some reports about uh, um, some investors 
uh, targeting 2024 as okay, we're going to have a continued downturn or maybe a stabilization of the market. So get in the market now. And then around that time, the economy will more stabilize. And then you'll have that uh, that 10% or more increase coming back. Um, again, it's always speculation. A lo- obviously, a large part of it has to do with how the interest rates will change in the coming months and years. What are your thoughts on that, Harris? Do you think we'll, we'll keep having uh, a reduction or increases in interest rates or... Um, I, I think that's it's, it's difficult, and and I've spoken to a lot of brokers about this and realtors, and it's uh, at this point, um, it's very hard to say what's going to happen. There's a few things that are involved, and when I say few, it doesn't mean that it's sim- simple. There's a lot of complexity behind it, but there's several different variables um, that dictate whether the interest rate's going to keep going up or not. One of the first things that's going on is that inflation is an all-time high, right? However, uh, I refuse to believe that just because inflation is an all-time high, we're seeing these uh, kicks in interest rates because if the states was not raising interest rates in coordination with us, um, our dollar naturally would become stronger. And if our dollar becomes stronger, it weakens exports, um, and if it weakens exports, our economy kind of goes down. So there's just there's a lot of issues that kind of are developed as a result of that. So I do believe that it's inflation um, in Canada. There's also inflation in the States. States is also um, uh, looking at uh, raising interest rates, and they are. We're raising it. We're maybe raising it a little bit more aggressively, but we're in line with the same thing because a lot of people don't understand that interest rates have – affect a lot of things. The Bank of Canada rate not only affects um, their lending rate, uh, lending in terms of mortgages, but it also um, affects uh, your your currency conversion and how strong your dollar is. So if you have a high interest rate, um, people actually will then put money into your economy because they could get more money off of investing in government bonds and whatever it is, um, whereas if you have a weaker one, it's not... Uh, uh, not as promising. So when your interest rate goes up, people want to come into the Canadian dollar. Naturally, it'll become stronger. That's what I'm talking about. So there's a lot of things here, but I don't think that this is going to be um, sticking around a a lot longer just because um, in the States, there's a lot of argument back and forth about like whether the States is in a recession or not. I mean, the way they've defined it um, for the past 50, 100 forever years is um, they all. If your if your economy contracts in two consecutive quarters, you're in a recession. So, but now I think the Biden administration has termed it as, "Hey, um, we're more like we're more in a technical recession, but recession has a lot of other things involved, um, because uh, not just a uh, contraction. You need to have a tightening labor market, all this other stuff." I do believe that the labor market is tightening because in the States, I think the argument is, hey, listen, we created more jobs last quarter and more people got hired. So the labor market is good. But if you look into it a little bit, looking into look into it with uh, with more depth, you'll see that labor market. Yeah, more jobs were created and more people did get hired. However, um, you also had. 
the labor force participation, like the amount of people, amount of Americans um, who want a job or who are currently working, it remained the same, right? So if, and, and at the same time, um, your unemployment rate stayed the same. So what does that mean? It means that the same people that are working are getting more jobs in order for those other two statistics to stay the same simultaneously. It means that people who are working are getting more jobs, which means that you have a weakening labor market, um, means that you have to get more jobs to get um, to make ends meet. And also um, you have a record uh, uh, credit card debt as well. That means also, again, that you have a weakening market people can't afford because of inflation. So uh, I definitely think that we are headed toward, the states are headed toward a recession. They're going to be bringing down rates. If they're bringing down rates, Canadians are bringing down rates. And so I do feel that, uh, I mean, some analysts will say it's going to happen Q4 of this year. I don't necessarily think so. Um, I, 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 it's very difficult to, I guess, turn around that quickly. But it's going to happen because I do feel like, okay, I think it was 2018 when the Federal Reserve tried to tighten the market. And they went from QE, which they were doing for a pretty long time, to try to raise interest rates and try to, uh, uh, I guess, uh, tighten the monetary supply. And everything turned around. So the market started going down and they immediately turned around themselves. So they started, um, and COVID was kind of a blessing in disguise because they're, that was a reason for them to kind of uh, bring back QE and lower interest rates. I feel like we're headed towards the same situation. Um, Q Again, Q4 this year, year is going to be difficult, but I definitely think by Q1, Q2 of next year, the, uh, the Federal Reserve is definitely bringing down interest rates. If they're bringing down interest rates, I do have a feeling that we're going to be bringing down interest rates as well. Interesting, but um, then... Wouldn't you say that uh, they reverse course, like you mentioned, um, for uh, in 2018, they uh, they reverse course by the end of 2019 because of COVID, and now there's it's a different environment, so there's no triggering event unless we hit a recession that they can't really get out of. Do you think there's a possibility that uh, we increase interest rates not too much to to put too much pressure on the economy and then ride it out at kind of a, a mid level no. course? No, because a lot of these decisions, uh, that would be um, the ideal situation where, yeah, you have to make some tough decisions. Uh, but I don't think that's going to be happening just because um, at the end of the day, a lot of these economies are political and we're moving more towards people kind of basing their votes on what's happened last quarter to them in their personal lives. And, and as we move towards elections, we are going to have to turn that around. So... Um, I, I definitely think that ideally what would happen is the problem is, here's the problem. We don't have a supply chain problem. I mean, not only is it a supply chain problem, but it's not a supply chain chain problem. I know inflation, everybody's like, oh my God, the prices of things are going up. I think that's a really, like, it's a misdirect in a lot of ways because price of things going up doesn't mean necessarily um, that, hey, now something is worth more. It just means that the cash that you have in your hand is worth less. That's one meaning. The other thing is, is 
there's just not enough things being produced, right? So if you every, if everyone's sitting around in an economy for two years and they're just getting paid money, and I know people think that money is what you need to buy things. No, you need to have things being produced and then the money to follow to be able to purchase that thing. So now everybody could have a billion dollars, but th- there's nothing in the economy to buy. That billion dollars is useless. And anything that comes up is going to be worth a lot of money, right? Because And it's not, not going to be worth a lot of money because it's worth something. It's because the money's worth nothing. Same thing in, our, in, in, in the North American and the Western economies now is that there's been no production. If you're sitting at home, and I know Serb felt good and it did help a lot of people but it also meant that you're not you're not producing anything but you're consuming so who's producing ultimately you need to have that and so that is a misdirect in that like the there's not enough production ideally what would you'd want is to get people to start working again right so now you gotta like as as you said as a lot of people sat and they earned without necessarily doing anything now you have to earn or you have to produce so that you make up for what what you consumed in the past year or two and then some and what you're producing currently, right? And if ideally, if you're a prudent investor, you'd want to produce so that you can you produce more than you're consuming so that you're kind of stocking up for the future. So there's a lot of things involved here. And I think that inflation is a misdirect. And ideally, you would want inflation to go up. I, I, I To be honest, the way the monetary uh, system works um when the government is putting financial assets, when I say financial assets in the market, when they buy bonds, they are putting money into the economy. So you can produce a bond. Um, the government could produce a bond out of nowhere and then sell it to the Federal Reserve and they monetize it. That money goes out. Um, and so in order to increase the interest rates, you'd bring all that money back in. You actually um, sell those uh, uh, bonds and then get that financial um uh those uh, financial instruments in that's one way the other thing was what recently happened was you had a lot of money being given directly to citizens in order to contract all of that you need taxes to go up and now taxes to go up the same way as um uh, same time as inflation is going up um it's going to be difficult but Inflation is the tax. So if you don't tax it, then inflation is going to get taxed, right? Because, again, there's only a certain amount of products. And if everybody has $100 or $1,000, they're all bidding for that thing. The number is just different. Um, and I think that's the biggest issue. The fact that we don't really understand and we definitely need to have, we need to increase taxes um, and then uh, uh, make sure that we're producing and we're getting back to a stable state economy and understand that our economies are not money our economies are what we produced money is just a easier way for us to trade what we have created i think there's um there's two issues there too though um increasing taxes i don't think i mean i know recently uh, the biden administration passed a legislation uh, that significantly increased the number of irs agents i think um, in anticipation of a tax increase and i think that relates to maybe anticipation of a need to increase taxes but at the same time, you have massive unionization efforts, massive. Um, there, there, I think it's the first time in like 50 years, uh, U.S. railway workers are in uh, protest for uh, increasing mm. wages. So it's a big deal. Um, these things are happening because people are seeing inflation and they can't afford um, their day-to-day expenses. And if you increase taxes in that environment, 
um, you see more of what was what has been happening where you have people just walking off the job and thinking, okay, I can't afford my life. This is not really helping me. If my cost of living is $5,000 and I'm making a grand at this job, what's the point, yeah. right? So that's what you're, we're kind of seeing. And on the other end, I think when it comes to inflation right now, uh, what we're seeing um, in Canada and the U.S. as, as well um, is it, I'm talking about the everyday person, what they're experiencing is, yeah, at the end of the day, you could say that the value as measured in dollar terms of, of any good, um, you need more dollars. So that's inflation, but really the value of the dollar is decreasing. That's why you need more dollars. But everything is not um, proportionately increasing. So you have inflation in varying amounts in different places, which is confusing for people. Because if you see a car appreciating 20%, 30%, 40% in value, and then your, I don't know, bread is 20, 30% more expensive, whatever it is, the, the difference is not uh, proportionate, then you don't, you think that's an investment, right? You think, oh, okay, that car is actually making me more because I can buy more of this other stuff with it. And, and then you have more participation in those segments of the market, which makes it worse too. At least that's an assumption on my end. Um, but I think in terms of the experience that people are having, there, there are, there's nuance there and there's a lot more involved that could change in the next months, years, and, and it could also change how the government responds to um, how, how people's spending habits and their, uh, their lives are, are impacted by these decisions. So moving on, um, BMO released a report. I think there's a few, interesting, um, a few interesting facts in this report that I wanted to talk about today. Um, it, it was related to the real estate outlook. So again, topic we had initially about the doom and gloom and the BMO report uh, released, uh, they, they revised lower forecasts for the Canadian real estate market. And their prediction is that right now we have not seen or experienced the extent of this decline. And they are anticipating a 21% decrease from the peak in Canadian uh, um, housing prices. What do you think of this? Um... I mean, I don't know where getting, they're getting that number. I know I don't know if it was BMO or somebody else who had an interesting model where um, there wasn't a shortage of supply, and uh, there's uh, and from what I remember um, looking at that uh, model, they hadn't taken into account the immigration coming in, um, and so they're like, "Oh my God! Well, there's enough um, houses for the households being created, and therefore." Um, we're fine. There is no shortage, and therefore the prices are going to go down. I, I don't think. I mean, it's very difficult to say whether prices are going to go down twenty percent, thirty percent. I do feel like um, right now they are due for correction, and this is not a bad thing for uh, real estate professionals, but they are due for correction. And and the reason being. How often, like how many properties, right, can you buy and then cash flow, right? It's very difficult to have properties that are cash flowing unless you put in an enormous amount of uh, a down payment, right? And a lot of people felt like, okay, well, the market's going up. I'll put some money in from my own pocket and, and capture the, the in, um, capital appreciation or whatever it is. Um, and then we'll, uh, it'll, it'll be even. I'll be uh, out ahead. I think that uh, that is something that uh, plagued the market. I had seen offers placed for 
you could say investment properties. Investment properties, I would say, are a little bit more reasonable than um, you have uh, uh, residential properties. Because residential properties is emotional. People get very emotional. They're like, oh, my God, I need to have this house because I need my family and, and my significant other, whatever. We need to live here and all that stuff. Residential properties are properties that are um, you're, ba- you're buying it based off of the cash flow. And a lot of times I saw offers going being placed, which I thought was very f- I, I didn't agree with it. Um, obviously, it was not my place to comment on any of this stuff, but I saw that you're, you're buying a house. Let's say you're doing a multifamily. There's eight units, right? This previous uh, investor bought the property uh, so that they can renovate and bump up the um, rents. Now, what ends up happening out of the eight, maybe you've renovated six of them. Two are outstanding. Um, three of them are vacant. But what's the price? They price it so that it's like, okay, well, you know what? Um, pricing is if it was fully tenanted and it was, if it was fully renovated and if it was everybody was paying top dollar, this is the hypothetical income. It has nothing to do with what it was really earning. It's a hypothetical number. And from that, I'm going to give you a 5% cap, which doesn't even or account less. for, yeah, like doesn't even account for all of the uh, expenses. So, yeah, 3.5%, whatever. The actual cap could be 2%. Really, and then you're selling it off of this hypothetical, and you have buyers because they're like, "All right, you know what? Maybe I'll get close to it, but then it'll appreciate more, and I'll 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 sell it again, and we'll be fine." And it's like, um, you're playing a game of who's the biggest idiot, who's going to be the last person holding it before the market starts starts going down. And I felt like there was too many people that were too confident that everything's just going to keep going up to make these dumb decisions, and those decisions have to be pulled back. And so that people are buying the property for what it is. It's not about um, uh, uh, what the hypothetical number is. I remember watching a video, right, of uh, this really famous real estate investor, Manny Koshpin, out of out of I think he lives in L- L.A. Or, yeah, yeah. And so he had he he's like, you know what? There's this one property. He made something around like $15 million off of it. It's like a, it's a pretty big um, real estate uh, office building. And he's like, every single time the recession or whatever, the market would go down, people would stop, like the, the, the renters would leave. He would buy it based on the cash flow. And then he would hold, he'd fill it up with tenants, and then he'd sell it again. And then when the recession would happen, because the owners would not be able to hold on to the renters, it, uh, he'd buy it at a value again, fill it up again, and sell it again. So that was his kind of w- method of making money. But the money w- came from what was being rented out. He did not pay a hypothetical. He could not make that money on hypothetical money. Hey, well, listen, I'll sell you, sell you this office, but the office, like, you have to pay me on this hypothetical 95% uh, uh, occupancy. Yeah, occupancy and, 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 and 2 3% uh, cap rate, and that's what you're going to give me. That stuff is like just unreasonable, and it's good that the, all of that stuff is being flushed out of the market because that's a lot of garbage. And especially, but I mean, at the same time, I think I think there's two competing forces. You have this really low cap rate, especially in, for Toronto properties, and then add to that the fact that um, the prices were increasing year over year, and people were thinking, okay, I'm going to make my money off that appreciation, and it's okay if I'm spending a little bit every year. The appreciation is so significant that I'll still make a ton of, of money. 
um, at the end of the day. But now what's happening is you're seeing a stabilization of prices, but at the same time, at least on the residential side, rents have skyrocketed, right? So rents, um, it's headline news again and again, um, people bidding 10, 20% over list rates, um, uh, increase in rent, rental rates. I don't think this is a permanent situation. I think this is a, a temporary phase. But at the end of the day, it is it, it does have an impact on your cap rate. It does have a temporary impact on demand. So if, if I own a, f- a five-unit residential building and my rent rental income increases by 10, 20% annually, despite this turbulence in the property market, um, I, I, I benefit from that or at least my, my property value maintains because I had priced in higher valuation to begin with. So I don't have as much of a loss as I otherwise would have. Yeah. So I thought that was an interesting um, dynamic. So what back to the report too. So there's a few pieces of data that they use, and I just want to tackle th- this, this information um, or look at the data that they used to, to just see what your thoughts are. We can t- t- look at what, what the kind of uh, competing forces are in terms of understanding that data and whether it should indicate what they're saying it indicates. So, so they said 21% decrease. One of the major indicators they said for uh, the, the decrease in uh, the predicted decrease in property values was days on the market. And they used uh, an IBM's uh, AI um, platform to assess the data. And they were looking at that the, uh, they, they assumed or concluded a strong correlation. I think this is a, a commonly used metric for real estate, the real estate ind- industry generally anyways, but they assumed a strong correlation between days on the market and future price drop, not current price drop in the future. So that means that as you have this increase in days in the market, in the next six months, next year, you're going to have considerable drops in volume or in price just because no one's buying. Um, what do you think? Um, do you think there's a correlation between days on the market and the future state of the uh, the the real estate market. I think that uh, days on the market definitely like gets people antsy, and uh, they start thinking. What you're going to see is actually what happened. Um, when you have to sell, you're going to bring down the price, right? And then when you can hold on, you're going to delist. And we had record delistings uh, in July and June. So that was their second yeah. data point. Yeah, so there was there was record delistings. People are like, all right, and went up like what was the number like uh, sixfold or threefold or some crazy number since January of this year. Um, and so y- you're gonna have two options, and and that uh, eventually will um, change uh, the market. The thing is, is right now the market has a lot of different expectations. Some people are like, you know what, there's um, uh, market's just temporarily down, we're going up. Others are like, it's, tempor- it's permanently going down, it's going to go even further down. Um, there's people who have hope and they're going to hold on. Some people are like, get rid of this. Some people who like want to get uh, the property they want now because they feel like this is the cheapest it's ever going to be. There's a lot of things going on. Whereas um, you could say that uh, last year, um, more or less the market sentiment of the people participating in the market, not the ones who are on the sidelines looking at it, was more or less uniform in that, man, this is going up. I got to get it before it's gone. And so now because the waters are kind of dirtied up, the only thing that will make the, the dirt settle in the water is just time so you could see what's really happening. And so I think that um, uh, as a 
it's very difficult to predict whether it's going to go up and go down because the thing is, is again, interest rates goes up. People need to save more. Those guys aren't out of the market. People still want to buy houses because you know that um, rents are going up. The same people who want to buy, for example, first time home buyers, they're paying rent and that rent's going up because the property that they're in probably has a mortgage and that mortgage interest rate's going up. So they're going to be paying more rent. So maybe now that even have more of a motivation to save money and get out of there as soon as possible, because, hey, even though um, a, a house price could be going down and it could go down further here, there's no but it'll come around with the renting. It's just going to keep going up. So and you're losing money. So there's there's all these other sentiments that will take time to figure out whether prices are going to go down or is going to stay down. Um, but right now it does seem like um, I don't know if prices are going down. I hear that like, oh, yeah, hundred thousand dollars down for GTA homes or whatever. My feeling is prices like if you take some obscure statistic. Yeah, prices are going down, but um, if I, I, f- I feel like more or less prices are being maintained. I don't think people are willing to sell for, um, less than what they bought it for. Um, that th- the loss comes from the, the transaction costs that they, pro- they may have placed into the property, but I don't think people are, are selling for less than what they, what they bought for. Yeah, I think um, I agree. I think uh, days on the market is not necessarily an, indi- an, an indicator that prices will fall. It could also mean that prices aren't increasing as fast. It, ac- it could also mean that prices are not changing. Um, it could mean a number of things. It could. It, it just means that you don't have as many people coming to look at these houses and, and bidding on houses, and it's taking a little bit longer to sell. But it does not necessarily mean that in the future you're going to have a drop in prices. Um, you c- we could but at the same time, I don't think there is a correlation there uh, between the, the, those two pieces of data. On, on, on the other end, um, I think what people had gotten used to over the last few years was that even if it's a house that you're living in, you buy a house, you get 20%, 30%, some ridiculous return year over year, and then you upgrade um, and, and, and then repeat and repeat and repeat. Mm. And, and when that's not happening, people aren't thinking, okay, I can't, I can't upgrade as quickly as I could have in this heated market. So I'm just going to sell it at loss. Like you were saying, what people are thinking is I'm just going to live in my house, right? This is my house. This is where I'll stay. I think there was a TikTok where someone was, was there, they were interviewing uh, people in Toronto and they asked this guy, uh, um, do you own any real estate? And he said, Oh, I own my house. And they said, Oh, what are your thoughts on the real estate market? And his response I thought was good. He, He was saying, I mean, uh, I don't really look at it as much because to me, I bought my house. So I'm paying my rent to live in my yeah. house. The market might go up and down, but at the end of the day, I'm living in my house. So I like, yeah, if it increases, I'm happy, but I'm not really too attached to that price at the end. I mean, I, I think, th- yeah, the price is going up. Everybody thought their house is an asset. I mean, a house is never an asset, but uh, the fact that you think it's an asset and that it should bring bring you um, money in is something that is kind of foolish. You, it's a consumption um, item or vehicle or whatever um, because you're living there and you need to live somewhere. And if you're not living in your house, where are you going to be living? And the point of the house is, or at least I'm, I'm building some equity. I think the other issue that we've had recently, which is very bad, is that as your prices, uh, price of the house goes up, it doesn't necessarily mean that like uh, – um, 
you're going to be uh, rich or anything. It's now you can get a bigger line of credit, borrow off of that and buy all this other stuff. And you can't do that now. That's that's a bad habit to begin with. You shouldn't be touching that anyways. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and, and that's what ends up putting people in that position where they feel like they're maybe they're forced to sell because they've they're overburdened with debt. Um, and especially when you have uh, variable rates and, and, and interest rates are increasing, they may, they will likely be decreasing in the future, but in the current, uh, economic climate, you have increasing expenses as well for that increased debt. So the last piece of data, which I think I just wanted to conclude off with uh, with this, unless you had any other... No, no, um, we'll move to the top tip uh, after this. So the last thing was an uh, uh, increase in litigation happening. So this is still, this is, this is despite the different pieces of data going around in terms of increases in, in volume or price or decreases in volume, there has been an increase in, in litigation. There was a viral TikTok video where this, this, uh, this individual had bought a house for one point. Uh, 4 million, I think, in 2017. He sold that house for 2.2 million um, in early this year, so January this year, I think, mm. um, with a closing date four or five months later, so uh, May, June this year. So bought for 1.4, sold for 2.2, and then the buyer walked away. And the person relisted. They ended up selling for, I think it was 1.9. I uh, don't have the exact number, somewhere around there. So ma- made. I think the difference overall was 500000 so my numbers aren't 100%. I think it was $1 million to $1.6, something like that. So he made a $500,000 profit, but he lost out on an additional three, $400,000 um, from the original buyer walking away. Mm. Now what's happening, um, the seller sold his house to a new buyer and is now suing the original buyer for the difference um, and the time and the stress and all that and the legal fees involved. So you have a lot of this happening where people are going into a firm offer and thinking, okay, I'm just going to walk away. Nothing will happen. But at the end of the day, um, that is having a significant impact in that you have an increase in litigation and you have an increase in, in, in people chasing down those buyers to say, hey, you have to buy this. I don't care if the market changed. You agreed to buy it at this price. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people, what they don't understand is uh, there is miscommunication. Oh, yeah, well, if you don't buy this, you know what? You're going to lose your deposit, and they think that's the only thing that's on the line. Um, It is, and it isn't at the same time. So let's say, for example, again, this is not legal advice, but let's say you you seller lists his house for a million dollars. Buyer comes in, offers him a million dollars, and then puts in $100,000 down. The seller, for some reason, the buyer can't buy it. Seller relists and sells it for one and a half million. At that point, um, the seller does not have any claim. You, the buyer does not lose his deposit. Uh, it's contrary to what people think. Um, if the buyer does keep it, or seller does keep it, the buyer can sue him, and then this, the seller has to prove what his damages were, and there weren't any damages because the, the seller actually ended up um, spending or getting more money. But if if it goes down, and let's say it's a, they agree for a million, and then... Um, buyer backs out, seller sells it for half a million. The seller is not is, is they have to be made whole. So they're going to not only get the million dollars or like that extra half a million, um, they're also going to get damages for any extra amount of money spent to relist it and sell it again. And so then you could say, well, um, for uh, buyers, um, they like. It's not that easy because if you don't pay that, let's say you don't have enough money and you're getting sued and now there's a judgment on you, 
what's the alternative? You have to declare bankruptcy, and now you don't – until that's, like, <laughs> on your credit, and I don't really – wouldn't be able to explain the financial end of it, but you have a bankruptcy on your credit history, and that's going to affect how you buy and where you buy and when you buy and who's going to lend you that money. So it's not it's not going to be – that, that's separate from – the stress of actually going through the litigation and going through all of that. So it's not something as easy as we're stepping, uh, we're going to step away and we're only going to lose our um, deposit. You lose, basically you have to make the seller whole and whatever that requires is going to be uh, litigated for. Um, but yeah, so uh, that kind of concludes our kind of topics of conversation today. I think it was a good conversation, but the one thing that I did want to discuss is our top tip. And our top tip today was focus. Um, and focus is for all the real estate professionals, whether you're a mortgage broker or you're a realtor. Focus is the number one thing that's going to bring you success in this market. When everything was going well, you had people who weren't so great at their job kind of jump into the market. And because the tide was arising, um, they felt like, you know, they could take advantage of it. But as Warren Buffett says, it's when the rec recession hits and the tide goes in or tide goes out, well, tide goes back. <laughs> you see who's swimming without without their, their swimming trunks. And this is that situation. And if uh, you uh, were, if you have a solid business down, you're going to be doing exactly the same stuff. And you'll know that your focus is not the next few months, but how are you going to be around the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years? Um, and you've built your business accordingly. And so the focus, when we say focus, we say focus on the things that matter. Focus in on your business. You don't have all the money in the world. You don't have all the resources in the world. Um, everything is finite. So understand what are the things that you need to focus in on to make sure you survive this downturn. It's a downturn, and that, that downturn is going to end just like the, the upside ended. The, the, the downside is going to end. Um, but who's going to make it on the other side is people who, have, who are focused and they're not looking at all these sensational articles that the sky is falling. Oh, my God, everything's coming down to an end. They see it for what it is. Yeah, things are coming down. This is how you're going to survive. And this is what we need to focus on. This is what my business needs for the next five, 10 years to survive. It's not something that a downturn is going to affect as much. Doesn't mean that you're, you're um do, conducting business exactly the way you did it when you were at uh, when the market was at its top, um, but it's kind of like going to the gym. Um, it just because uh, you, you're 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 kind of um, healthy doesn't mean that now you could stop going to the gym, and and just because you're out of shape doesn't mean you're going to go to the gym a day and it's gonna it's gonna finish. You got to develop healthy habits and focus on, and you need focus for that. You're not listening to oh my god all these um, gurus that are saying you could lose 10 pounds in 10 minutes you understand that it requires discipline and that discipline slowly turns into devotion and as you do that as you move forward um, devoted to your craft um, you're definitely going to uh, not s just survive but you're going to be thriving well said and I, just to add to that i think just to, the takeaway is uh, when you're focused and you have that discipline the result is consistency so just you're making sure that you you have that plan. You're consistently uh, uh, kind of pushing through and results don't come in the next day. And depending on the size of your business, the size of yeah. your book, the size of your team, what you're doing consistently is obviously going to change. But the main principle is being consistent. And and despite the, the, the there was a, a decrease in uh, homes that's, that were sold in August or July, 
the fact remains there were 5,000 homes sold in the GTA, 5,000 mm. deals. How many did you do that month? Right. So that means there's volume there is the point, right? So that if with consistency, there is some, there is volume there that you can add to your book of business. Yeah. And then to actually touch upon what you just said, um, focus does mean different things to different people. So um, if you're doing like zero to two transactions a month, you're focusing on something very different than somebody who's doing five or more. Um, it's uh, going back to that gym analogy, right? If, if you're eating healthy, that means, and, and, you, and you're, going, you're going to the gym, you're looking at form, right? When you're starting off at the gym, you're looking at form before you increase the weights. Once you've got that form down, then you're increasing the weights. And you're also looking at what you're eating. And you're not going to go from, like, eating horribly one day to having the best diet the next day. It's a step-by-step process. What are you eliminating first and what are you eliminating afterwards, right? And so if you look at those two things, they are combination of, when, for example, if, if, and the assumption here is you're going from an unhealthy state to a healthy state, um, when you're looking at your diet, you're stopping things one at a time and replacing it with good things. So stopping is preventing the bad, right? So with your business, depending on where you are, there's um, behaviors and habits that you have to stop step by step that are not good for you. Simultaneously, when you're taking on the good habits, you're again doing it step by step. You're not going to be bench pressing a thousand pounds the first day or any day, but um, you're you're not going to even if you can bench press more. The first step would always be to get your form down so you don't hurt yourself. Right? It's the same thing with business. So those are those are the, the things that you need to consider. And I think in the coming uh, weeks, we're actually going to go through depending on where your business is, what we think you should be concentrating on, what you should be focusing in on so that you get success long-term and it's not something that's like a, a five-minute quick fix or the illusion of a quick fix. Thank you guys for joining us. Take care, guys.